Hi again, everybody, moms and dads, boys and girls. Welcome to the chatter. We've, we're going around the globe today, Colleen. Uh, I'm so excited. Can you imagine? We've never had an international guest before. And we do. You're going to know him as the Paca Mama Slayer, as we begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O oh, most gracious Virgin Mary, Mary that, that never was it known, known that anyone who fled, fled to thy protection, protection implored thy help, or sought, sought thy intercession, was, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit. Amen. So when I was a little boy, there was a show on TV called uh, What's My Line? You might have remembered that one. You were... A few, remember, years I'm a few years behind me. Kitty Carlisle, who is the Paca Mama Slayer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I remember the the title. I don't. Couldn't tell you a single episode or who was in it. But uh, what's yeah. my line? Well, we've got him, Alexander Schugel from the Saint Boniface Institute in Vienna, Austria. Alexander, say hello to Dubuque, Iowa, Illinois, and Wisconsin. Hello to all of the listeners, and hello to you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, thank you for accepting us. We met about a month ago. We were introduced by movie producer Oscar Delgado, and he was kind enough to uh, get this set up for us, Alexander. And uh, it, it's, what, you're six hours uh, ahead of us here. We're, we're behind Greenwich Mean Time, and you're an hour ahead of that. So thank you yes. for being so generous with your time it's got to be sunset over there by now no not yet not yet we still have another one or two hours of light very good so we wanted to get started and learn more about who you are because i think most people saw this darting figure uh, heading up the uh, via was it the bridge of saint michael when you went across uh, after the you committed grand larceny no it's what it's called uh, it's called the angel's bridge the Angels but it Bridge. is in front of the Castel San Angelo, um, so it's in front of the, the Angel's Castle, and on top of the castle you do see St. Michael, the Archangel, standing there to protect the faithful. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, in your life, you're a convert to the faith. Tell us how you grew up, what your faith was, and how did you get to become the, uh, the, the pro-life vandal of Europe? So um, my family originally coming from Tyrol was always a Catholic family, but my great-grandfather conver converted to Protestantism. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was young, I was uh, raised by my parents in a Christian way, but not in a particularly um, church-like way. So I was, I was a Lutheran officially, but I was not really a faithful Lutheran. Mm -hmm. um, even though I have to say that I was always quite conservative. And so when I... Um, uh, got confronted with certain stupidities by my um, teacher for um, religious education back then at school. I had some questions, and um, asking those questions, I asked some friends of mine who were Catholics, and um, so step by step, to put it in a nutshell, I came closer to the church and had this wonderful experience of, of, of meeting a priest who could actually, for the first time in my life, answer the big questions I had, as give me answers to the big questions I had in my life. So why are we here? 
um, is there a God? Um, why is God the way he is? Um, you know, why Christian? What is the church, etc.? He could all he could answer all of them, and it immediately gave me a feeling of being at home. Mm-hmm. Now, may I interrupt? So after, how how old were you course, at this time? Fourteen, fourteen, and I was, and and when I was when I had these talks, it took me then some time. He, he gave me conversion. Um, so I had the, the the talks with my friends with fourteen and visited the priest for the first time when I was already fifteen. But this was one of uh, this time. Wow, those are and some pretty so, deep questions for a fourteen-year-old. I have to say, I had. well, it, dep- it depends. It depends. I I I know other people uh, my age back then. I knew other people my age who had uh, similar question, questions. Mm-hmm. And I believe that even though modern society um, lets us think that um, um, people are actually children up until their forties or fifties, I believe that even though you can have the innocence of a child. Um, also, young boys and girls do need some proper, um, some proper education, etc., as they can actually understand many things way earlier than many people believe they can. Mm-hmm. And so, what happened is this priest saw it the same way as I did, yes, as, as I do now, and and did not mince any words. He came forward with the truth of the church and the truth of uh, about Jesus Christ, etc. And so, when I um, entered the church, it was really, and I'm not kidding, like coming home. This is very strange to say because um, how can someone who was never part of the Catholic Church say he's coming home? But I can just promise to you, and I think if you would ask other converts, they would confirm that suddenly you feel totally at home. You know that you this is where you always um, belong to and, 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 and so on. So this was really wonderful. And then growing up, obviously, in a traditionally Catholic country, even though the faith is not as as vibrant and as mm-hmm. much uh, mm-hmm. alive anymore as it was in the past and and this it, is it, this it is was, in vienna yeah. is it yes in vienna in vienna and, and you started um, this at about uh, 14 when you're asking it uh, uh, two yes. questions there uh, how old was this priest that you approached any uh, within a few years yes, how, he, what, was what? The, he was the beginning of his 30s so he's a young priest mm-hmm. he's a young priest yes not, he's a young not ordained priest. too he's long a, he was ordained, I think, maybe four years, five years. Wow! Like this. Wow! He entered. I think he entered priesthood. And, uh, and you talk but about I think coming he was a into for a few years already. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you're coming back to the uh, the faith, which is interesting that you phrase it that way. How old uh, were you then? Uh, after I mean, you started asking the questions at 14, but how old when? With 15, I converted. So in I a year. A ye- in a year, yes, it took me a year of preparations, obviously. Um, so I did get, went through the through the um, through the whole you know education for a convert and also a preparation for my confirmation um, because in Austria we normally have the confirmation with thirteen and fourteen so sure. I was more or less a year late and if if you have a convert a conversion when you're already older then you're normally prepared for the conversion and confirmation so it was a very intense time lots of books to read lots of lots of talks sure. with this priest. And with my Catholic friends, it was wonderful. Let me ask you, uh, Alexander. We're talking to Alexander Schugel over in Vienna, Austria, right out of the studios of KCRD. This is incredible, thanks to the engineers for putting this together. But Mm -hmm. Alexander, how does a 15-year-old young man in Vienna, Austria, who's raised Lutheran but not really Lutheran, get lit on fire for the Catholic faith? and, And how do you... You said, I feel like I'm coming home, but you've never been home before. Go deeper on what that was. 
what that was is um so there's this this church which i now call my home parish um it's it's saint rock's church in vienna a beautiful typically austrian viennese church if you have ever been in vienna you know exactly what i'm talking about um mm -hmm. and and i entered this church already knowing that this is the right place but with my conversion i suddenly I had a feeling of being at home, so I wanted to be in this church very often. After school, I often entered the church for a prayer, and then I started surfing the altar there, etc. And it felt like like I was always there. It was very strange, hmm. but it was I was not I did, I didn't have this feeling that I'm a stranger there. So not at all. Oh, uh, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, please, please, please go ahead. Well, I was just thinking, what did what did your parents think about your conversion? But, so I, I have, I'm very lucky to have two wonderful parents. And um, what happened was I came home when I knew that I will, I'm definitely going to convert. And I asked my parents what they think about this. So I confronted them in a way and asked them. And my father was very angry, but not with me so much, but rather with my Protestant religious teacher, because he thought that mm. I only convert because the teacher was bad. Mm. And then we had talks about, about the faith and everything. And my pa father said something very, very good back then. He said, you know, if you really want to do this, then I'm obviously going to support you. But if I see you going into this and then going out of it in a few months, then don't expect me to respect decisions like this in the future. Oh, baby. Mm. And, and, and my father was very good and he was he was he helped me um, because obviously if you're challenged by people who love you, um, then you yeah, then it's not it's not a bad thing. You know, you know, they want the best for you. So it was for me uh, another another motivation actually to go deeper into the faith and mm. to put <laughs> to put this story into a nutshell. Now I'm I'm not only the proud father of a son myself, but also the proud son of two Catholics myself. So oh. my parents oh, your parents came into <laughs> the church. That's awesome. Yes. So, That's wonderful. So it's very beautiful. So just to put all of that into a timeline, that you you start the conversation at fourteen, you convert at fifteen. Yes. Yes. Uh, now your parents are converted, mom and dad, and uh, yes, and both of them. My mother a few years after me, and my father ten years after me. Hmm. And today you're not quite thirty, so it's about fifteen years since yes, your uh, years. your conversion. What else, in addition to mom and dad converting and bringing a child into the world, can you uh, attribute to your Catholic faith in the last fifteen years? Well, so many things. I think the biggest. The biggest thing for me was to give you more or less a step-by-step -step explanation. I started serving the altar, and in my home parish, it, there was um, there is no people's altar and only boys as an altar service, even though it was a novice order parish. And so I started serving the master, and then my the priest who led me to conversion was the one also introducing me to the traditional Latin mass, hmm. um, which was for me. A revelation in a way because I learned so many things about the faith and I try to dig deeper every day still so I think one can never stop learning um, beautiful things about one's own uh, faith if it comes to the church the Catholic Church and so I was introduced to traditional mass and through friends of mine especially one friend in particular I step by step discovered this as well and my home parish which is a very good parish it's very very good very solid Catholic parish run by the Oratorians of St. Philip in Vienna. Um, they now have a Sunday Mass in tr traditional form as well. Oh, nice. So, um, th thankfully, this was also a development which, which I saw from the beginning. It was for me, this is, I think, the, the biggest beauty compared to many people who had to go to, through, through fights for this. 
But for me, there was never um, communion in the hands. For me, there was never a people's altar. For me, there was never terrible modernist masters without any without any word of, of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, uh, without reverend, we always had it very reverent. It was always very. We always had a prayer to Our Lady. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so it was all very traditional. And then the traditional Latin mass was for me very the very logical next step. And I, this is when I suddenly understood the church way better. I I felt at home at the beginning, but when I discovered the traditional Latin mass, I knew I'm at home, and that's a very big difference. Hmm. Wow, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So, so you were learning about the faith. You were falling in love with tradition, the beauty of the church, yes. and and so then we get to October of twenty nineteen, um, yes. when the Pachamama debacle was happening in Rome. So, how did you hear about that? How did you hatch this plan? Tell us how the planning that went behind what you eventually ended up doing. So, um, in order for people to understand why I was even there, I need to add that from um, my from my 16th birthday birthday on, I was trying to um, be part of of every pro life and pro family movement in Austria uh, in Vienna. As I I was always I always I was always opposed to abortions. I, there was no pro life. I was in favor of abortion. But with becoming Catholic, I suddenly understood the whole. Um, the whole size the, the of this problem, um, and mm-hmm. so I was always uh, doing this. And uh, after I was even um, running a pro-family organization in Germany, um, working for it, but I was also one of the founding fathers, and then working for the uh, for the pro-life movement in in Austria here for the March for Life, I created an organization which said which says the question. The pro-life question is not disattached from the other big questions of of our life. So you cannot say, "I'm a pro-life. I do not care about the family questions of you know divorce, etc." I always believe that this is all one big fight against the human nature. And so I organized, uh, I found a new organization back then. It's more or less the predecessor to St. Boniface Institute, mm-hmm. um, uh, saying that the the the. The, the, we, what we need to do is we need to do, have actions against the destruction of life and family, which I saw as one attack. And in this capacity, and knowing that it's necessary to look at those questions from a Catholic point of view, I created this organization as a Catholic organization. And so there was a third aspect suddenly added to it. Um, the third aspect was that we need to fight the errors um, spread about this, especially within the, the ranks of, of the Catholic clergy and the Catholic laity. And when I was invited to, to go to Rome to the Amazonian Synod, I was not invited by the Synod Fathers to the Synodal Prosystems itself, but rather by friends of mine who organized um, a conference um, clarifying the errors spread at the Synod. So I was at a parallel event, more or less, organized by wonderful people, a wonderful Brazilian group, Explaining that what is said within the halls of the within the Snowdle Hall does not represent or reflect anything that happens actually in Brazil, and and, and really? also in the church, and this was in so far connected to the family and life battle as the the so-called pagan indigenous uh, groups represented. The reason why I call them so-called is that 
many of the representatives were not really pagan, uh, indigenous, but rather, maybe they were pagan, yes, but not indigenous, but rather actually uh, left-wing um, um, Europeans or Americans taking, uh, you know, pushing this agenda. Um, the problem is that whenever you talked about the pagan traditions there, you suddenly talk about child sacrifices, abortion, even infanticide, you know, because often they don't have abortion. Some some uh, tribes have it, some some don't. But what they do is they normally, when a child is born, the mother and the shaman go into the wood, and the shaman looks at the child, and then the shaman decides whether the child is worthy of the tribe or not. <gasps> if it's not worthy, they just leave it in the wood to die. Oh, so it's really? infanticide. Very very yes yes. This is this is it's unfortunately actually happened. It's in Brazil, by the way, we had a few decades ago more than 98% or 99% Catholic. So this is not what the Brazilians do. This is what a very small minority does. And this very small minority are really, really, really small. You can, I guess it will be maybe a few 10,000 people, that's it. But suddenly this was presented as something good and honorable. And that's the reason why I, as a pro-life and pro-family uh, advocate, was in Rome at this conference. And being there, I suddenly, uh, being at a dinner with, with other Catholic um, um, media men, etc., who were all talking about the Synod, so, you know, of life said news and church militant and, and, and EWTN, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor Marshall, for example, was there, the well-known uh, American Catholic blogger and YouTuber. Um, and, and I was there, present, and suddenly someone said, stop. There is something very important that just happened. And Alexander, Alexander, hold, yes. hold it right there. We're coming up on the break, and we're going to leave every listener hanging on the edge of their seat <laughs> as you come back and tell us about the Amazonian Synod in Rome right before that breaking news happens. You're listening to The Chatter. We've got Alexander Schugel, the 29-year-old Austrian. We're talking to him from Vienna. Uh, live today, but mm-hmm. recorded this weekend, Colleen. Mm-hmm. And we'll be right back after these announcements on FM 98.3 KCRD. Hi again, everybody. We're back in the studio with a very uh, exciting guest. Good, good to hear Alexander Schubel. He is the 29-year-old Austrian, and many of you knew um, in 2019 with the uh, incident on the Tiber, as we said. Colleen, yeah, so, where'd um, we leave off? So Alexander told us in the first segment about you know his conversion experience and, and then how it was that he came to be in Rome in October of 2019. And, and for some of our listeners that are just kind of tuning in late, and just to kind of recap, make sure I heard you correctly, what you're saying is that you were invited there by a group um, from Brazil, which is largely a Catholic country, 98% Catholic. But it was, it was, it was 98%. Oh, it was okay. Now, unfortunately, it's not even 60% because of wow. all the evangelical movements and the wow. destruction of the church. Wow! But it was until 40 years ago, 50 years ago, we were talking about nearly 100% wow. Catholic. Wow. But that there was a very small percent of people in Brazil, in the Amazonian area, that were pagan, that just couldn't be yes. converted, that were doing really, you know, even up to child sacrifice kind of horrible things. And and that's the truth of some of this indigenous worship, but that it was taken and twisted 
by some Europeans and Americans that had a different agenda. Is is that kind of a summary of what you were saying at the end of that other segment? Yes. So, so what I want to say is that many people romanticize the idea of having pagan tribes in the forests of Brazil, and they believe those people live connected with nature, you know, just leave them alone, and, and now we Europeans, Americans, or left-wing South Americans, we want to show the world that this is equally as good, if not even better, than mm. civilized Christianity. Mm. That's, by the way, officially what the organization, REPAM, that's the name of the organization, REPAM, who organized the whole things in Rome, the Pachamama rituals and everything, that's what they said. They said they live closer to nature. And what I just wanted to say that the reason I was invited to come to this conference where they explained what's actually going on at the Synod was that I am a Catholic pro-lifer and that there were some pro-life issues. And the issues, I named them already, are that those pagan tribes that still exist, and as I said, and as you just repeated, it's very, very small percentage who actually live like pagans, you know, still in the forests, in their huts, etc. Mm -hmm. Many of them practice infanticide and other and, and abortion and other things really? like this. So it is not romantic. It is not, uh, they are not closer connected to nature. The people live, who live there are more primitive and obviously need the light of Christ. And the missionaries was doing such a good job in uh, Brazil before the you know whole revolutionary process happened with the so-called theology of liberation that is obviously a huge thing in Brazil as well as in the rest of South America. So that's what I wanted to say. It mm -hmm. is not romantic to be there. They Obviously, they have a different life, and yes, it can be interesting, but it is not an example of people who live closer to nature, closer to God. That's untrue. Mm -hmm. And so you were at a conference, like a parallel event to yes. the Amazonian Synod. And so you knew the truth of those things that you just said that were happening. And, yes. and you looked across Rome and you saw that they were almost enshrining the Pachamama idol, a pagan idol. Um, the Vatican Gardens had a, an event there that, that Pope Francis attended. They um, had these Pachamama idols uh, statues set up in one of the churches. Um, they ended up, I believe, carrying the Pachamama pagan idol into yes. St. Peter's. So, so you see that this is going on from across town. So, so how did your plan develop? So what happened was, first, I... We all, when I heard that this has happened, and I, I already explained that I was with friends, we all knelt down in prayer. And on the next day, I decided that I'm going to have a look myself so that I don't rely on rumors. Mm -hmm. And on the next day, I went to this church, Santa Maria Trasfontina. It's a church right, um, if you look towards St. Peter's in Rome, the, on the big street, it's the Via de Conciliazione. On the right side, you will find this church. It's mm -hmm. a very old church, very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I went inside and they told us that there is an Amazonian tent erected in the church. And I thought that maybe they really have a tent inside, but this was only a name, it was no tent. They used two of the side chapels as more or less exhibition places, like a museum, for their pagan propaganda. It was a pagan and especially green ideology propaganda. So it was, they said things like, um, you know, the climate change problem. It, it was all about this whole issues, you know, the whole Amazonian Synod issues. And there um, I saw the statues, the Pachamama statues, the first time in person, mm -hmm. and also the rest of the 
of the of the different things they used for for this strange ritual in the Vatican Garden. And I talked with one of the organizers and asked her about everything, and she was um, one of the representatives of this organization called Repam. And she said, yes, I'm one of the organizers. Can I answer any questions? I said, yes, I have many questions. So I asked them about, what do you think about baptism? And she said she believes that people who live so close to nature as the indigenous do, do not need baptism because they are so close. Baptism is something only um, the decadent West Say what? needs. Now, yes, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Was she, was she a Catholic part of this? She was officially a Catholic. She was officially a Catholic working for the Red Earth Pan-Amazonian, um, I think mission is the last word, REPAM, which is a Catholic organization. And as a so-called Catholic, I would rather say. And so what happened was, I, I obviously was totally shocked. Mm -hmm. And then I told, asked her about the Pachamama, what they depict, and she said, yes, it's, this is a goddess, it's called Mother Earth Goddess. So, so I was from the beginning, you know, at the beginning, there was this rumor, no, it's a depiction of Mary, but just in a very primitive way, etc. Mm -hmm. This, I knew from the beginning that this is untrue, because I talked with the one who actually was the uh, one of the organi organizers of the mm -hmm. ritual. And she said, no, it's a goddess, it's called Pachamama. Mm -hmm. And, and so the next day, when a friend of mine who wanted to be with me at the conference, but uh, unfortunately could only make it to the second part of the conference, came from Vienna, um, who speaks Brazilian as a, as a Portuguese, a Brazilian Portuguese, came with me into the church again, and we went inside again, and I asked him, please translate for me, so that I re I'm really sure, and I asked again the same questions. Mm -hmm. What is this statue, the idol, idols? What, what do you think about baptism? And I asked the third question, we saw a strange um, kind of banner there, where you saw a naked indigenous woman breastfeeding a hog. And she, and then he said, "What? The, why do you depict this in the church?" And then she said, "It shows that the people there live way closer to Earth than than to the nature than we in the West do, why? which is obviously a lie. Because yeah. if I live very close to nature, then I know that a hog does not need need a, 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 a human breast milk, but rather needs another hog's breast. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. so it's just it's just nonsense." Mm -hmm. And so I was standing there, I was shocked, and. Just to give you a very, at least a one nice thing that happened, one good thing that happened at the same time, a nun, a Korean nun was there, South Korean nun, handing out flyers for Repam, and she didn't know about all of this, and she was listening to the talk, and because she was listening, she stopped handing out the flyers and left the church, mm. and said she didn't know that she was betrayed so much, so they just kept her un knowing you know mm. they kept her uneducated mm -hmm. about what they actually do mm -hmm. so this was the whole thing and so i decided we need to get rid of the statues uh, asked my wife what she thinks about it and then she told me you if you maybe it's right but you first have to pray and have to ask a priest um, if this is correct so i went back to vienna because i needed to go back anyways on the same day Get, went back to Vienna and then I had a few events. We had a youth um, um, thing and, every, and I obviously think, thought about it, prayed about it every day. And then when I had the chance to ask a priest, um, and I did not know, I, I could have asked a priest immediately, but I had so many things to do that I, I wanted to give it the proper timing, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I asked a priest two weeks later and told him, can I do it? And he said, no, you can't. You must do it if you can do it. And I said, okay, good. That's, 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 my, that's the answer then. And I asked a friend of mine who is named Alexander as well. We went to the next aeroplane, um, flew to Vienna and slept at a friend's place, planned the whole thing, went inside the church in the very early morning, took the statues, 
filmed it at the same time, mm -hmm. put the statues on the bridge in front of say, of, of the Angel's Castle in Rome, right, the Angel's right. Bridge, and threw them into the River Tiber. And the reason why we filmed it was that we knew that they have more than just those five statues. They had six statues in the chapel. Unfortunately, I could only eat crap five. <laughs> but but we knew they have way more of them. So we wanted to film it because we wanted them to not have the possibility to just replace the statues and act as uh, as if nothing have ever has mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. And sure. so this okay. video went viral immediately. Mm -hmm. I was in on my way back to Austria. And, uh, and we only had a flight via Munich. Normally the flight from Rome to Vienna is not even two hours, but there was no direct flight. So I flew to Munich and in Munich we uploaded the video. And when I was back in Vienna, we were already anonymously famous, mm -hmm. which was obviously not what we expected. We expected this video to be quite known in certain media circles so we expected this to be something for the roman insiders mm -hmm. and suddenly it was a huge thing in the whole world i didn't expect this and just to end this story after um i i knew you know that that this is that this is now a huge thing but i did not want to publish my name because i wanted it to be about what we did and not about who uh, did it mm -hmm. but then a few people first of all promoted um, themselves uh, and said that we did it and, and gave very wrong reasons. They said we did it in order to harm the Pope or, you know, a few, a few, uh, a few people with strange ideas uh, said that they did it. And I saw, I thought, well, then, then it's better than we, that we come out with our face because then everyone knows that we are the ones and we can give an explanation why mm -hmm. this friend of mine, the other Alexander could not come out back then out of um, family reasons. And, mm. and but now he's he's a wonderful man. He still works together with me on certain projects. And and then um, yes, that's that's why I am right now here giving this interview because we so published it. So a couple then. couple of questions on that. I've had people uh, rhetorically or or specifically ask. Uh, he knocked him off the bridge. If I'm remembering the video, uh, Alexander, yes. they were on the bridge rail and you knocked him off into the Tiber. But I had had a couple of people say why. Why didn't he burn them, or why didn't he break them and then throw first, them into the river? First of all, it's a it's it's a romantic idea that obviously I had, the, uh, you know, as if I as if I had the time to light some statues on fire in the middle of Rome in the morning, mm -hmm. uh, being next to some military guards. So this is a little bit unrealistic. Uh, just to put you a little bit uh, to to uh, say the realistic perspective. The reason I did not want to um, do any violence to the statues is that I, back then, knew that the statues themselves are from a tourist shop. I knew it already, but mm. I knew that people will judge everything I do. And I thought the whole goal about this is to just get rid of them. And mm. in Rome, there's an ancient Roman tradition dating back even into the pre-Christian times, but also mm -hmm. performed many times in the Christian um, wonderful times of the of the eternal city is that you throw things in the river Tiber and um, if I would have for example just imagine me breaking them in the middle then people would have said he did it because out of aggression mm. just imagine me burning them people would say ah he did, does it and, and he could easily have harmed someone you know or set something else on fire mm -hmm. so the thing is that everyone would have watched at my action rather on what exactly happens here and what happened here was statues were, were venerated in a church 
in a Catholic church, in the, the gardens of the Vatican, then in a church, in processions, in St. Peter, everything, even though the first commandment says that thou shalt not bow down in front of any um, wooden image of mm-hmm. other gods. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what the first commandment mm-hmm. says. So I knew that the, in order to fulfill the first commandment, what I needed to do, I need to get rid of the statues so that nobody can bow down in front of them anymore. Mm-hmm. And even though my critics are maybe right when they say, well, the statues could still be fished out of the river again, and even though some people uh, say that, they, that, that this happened, nobody bowed down in front of them anymore there because there was too much shock, you know. So, so at the end, it worked out the way I wanted it to work out, and I, did, I didn't want to risk any, um, anything that does not, you know, that's, that's, that's opposed to the, the message I wanted to, sh- uh, to share. And the message I wanted to send was not toward the media or towards the other people, to the other people, etc. I wanted to send a message clearly out to God, telling him, out, down there are faithful people who do not accept this. Mm-hmm. We and honor you and we do not any, honor any other gods mm-hmm. besides you. And, and really, it inspired a lot of people. And you'll always have your critics of, oh, why didn't he do that? Why didn't he do this? But you know what? Yes. Then they should have done something, right? I mean, it's easy yes, to well, criticize yes. people that take action and do something. Um, I, so. think, I think burning the statues would not have been wrong, by the way. I just, this was just not what I, what I, came, I came to a different conclusion. And I believe, by the way, in general, because many people say, well, one, had, one needs to do an exorcism, etc., in ma- many people, even if they are more traditional, believe that exorcisms are just something everyone can do like this. Mm-hmm. But this is a duty of a, of a priest or mm-hmm. a bishop even. Mm-hmm. So if it comes to the church, what I could do is I could get rid of them. That's what I could do. Mm-hmm. But I cannot do the other things. That's mm-hmm. what needs to be done by the bishop or by the parish priest. Mm-hmm. That's that's and, exactly right. And so let me yeah. just ask you that then. Did your yes. actions kind of wake up some priests or bishops to what yes, was really yes. happening and and did did they see them. the light after what you did so yes lots of them lots of them i have uh, lo- i had so many talks with different bishops and priests about this that i cannot even count them it was mm-hmm. amazing and we should not forget even though we like to criticize our bishops for being terrible bishops uh, we have to see that god always provides the number of bishops needed for the faithful Right now, even though the Catholic Church has huge numbers of members, the numbers of faithful are way less and way smaller. And if you look around, if you say, well, we are faithful Catholics, where are our bishops? Then you can actually name quite some bishops. Mm-hmm. You will have the, the, you know, a handful of cardinals, more than a handful of bishops and auxiliary bishops everywhere. If I ask my the Catholics I meet all over the world and they tell me, yeah, the situation is without hope, I always tell them, what are you actually hoping for? And normally they will tell me, well, well, that everything goes well. And I told them, well, no, you, 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 the, the reason why we say that the church tells you you, sh- you should um, hope, um, you should have hope, is that you should have hope for you to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. This is the way you want. So the question I normally ask then is, do you know one good priest which, who is accessible more or less to you? And then the average answer I get is, no, I know way more than one priest. Hmm. So I think that God provides everything we need. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just often not luxury right now. And we know from Jesus, Jesus Christ ourselves that everywhere where God does not reign, and, and in the past we had Catholic countries where, where the reign of even, even the, the monarchies, of certain monarchies, was a Catholic reign, and so God was in the middle. But as soon as this is not the case, 
people will always persecute you, put mm -hmm. you in front of the courts and mm -hmm. will um, try to kill you even. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I believe that what we see here was, after I did this with the Pachamama, was wonderful. We saw all over the world are people who actually share the one Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. All over the world are priests and bishops who share the one Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. I was so amazed. I cannot tell you enough how much hope this gave me for the mm. whole church, even here on earth. Mm. How much hope this gave me. It's well, that's, that's awesome. And we're coming up to the end of the second segment. And you've done a great recap of um, explaining what happened and how it took place. And so in our next segment, we just want to ask you what uh, you're up to lately um, over there in Vienna. So we'll be coming back right after these announcements. We're back in the studios of FM 98.3 KCRD and the KCRD mobile app and uh, want to thank our sponsors Hotworks out on Holiday Drive for sponsoring us and bringing Alexander Schugel from about a quarter away, about eight hours difference in Vienna, Austria. Colleen, that was a great segment too. It really was and I, I really liked that um, we got a little more look into what happened with that Pachamama statue because it it wasn't as spontaneous as um, it seemed to be. I, it was nice to hear that there was a prayer behind it, consulting with a priest. All of that was good. So, so you did a you did a nice job of recapping that for everyone, Alexander. So, thank you for giving us better insight into what happened then. But that was that was four years ago. Certainly, you are up to something new. What 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 is your current fight going on? So as I said at the beginning, I, I was always very much um, engaged in the pro-life and pro-family um, scene. And, and here in Austria, we now have something new, which did not, access, uh, uh, um, which did not um, exist a few years ago. But you know about this way more than I do, the whole transgender movement. My goodness. So after fighting the whole LGBT um, ideology, so-called homosexual marriage and everything, now there's something new coming up, drag queen story hours. And mm -hmm. I don't want to focus too much on it. As you know, in the United States a lot, there's this huge fight going on. And now you had this terrible series of uh, school shooters even from the trans community. Mm -hmm. Really, God, 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 bless, uh, God bless the poor children who died there mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and, and their families. And obviously, we'll pray, we will pray for the, for the trans um, murderers as well as they, in my eyes, are, are rather victims um, as well. Mm -hmm. What we see here is an attack on the family. Mm -hmm. And I believe that everything starts with an attack on God. And so I try to find out what exactly is the reason why so many leftists want this ideology, trans ideology, being present in the modern world, even though the majority of the people totally reject it. Mm -hmm. So here in Austria, we have a majority of 80%, so 80 rejecting the trans ideology publicly and still they perform drag queen story hours for minors from five-year-old children that's what happened a few days ago mm. so what and i found it out it's very clear 
you have an attack on God, and as God is Almighty, <laughs> it's sometimes quite difficult to attack Him. Mm -hmm. So what you do, you uh, uh, attack His creation instead, mm -hmm. and you start attacking it in the mm -hmm. womb already with abortion, mm -hmm. trying to kill it, the child, the offspring, the offspring, um, um, the innocent child especially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then the child is born. You try to pervert the child, take away everything, deconstruct even his biological sex you know that you 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 come to heaven you're a man or you're a woman that's two beautiful things created by god almighty mm -hmm. the beginning of the world and you go there and say no even this is wrong you deconstruct everything god gave uh, mm. gave you and as deconstructing it cannot bring forward anything good it can only bring forward disorder and and destruction and this is what we see in the trans uh, uh, the trans community mm -hmm. it starts with being open to fluidity and you know all these words they use being open for the, to the whole queer lifestyle mm -hmm. and it ends with hormone blockers or even with so-called transitioning um, uh, surgeries where boys lose their genitals and girls use uh, lose their for example their, their breasts or something like this being harmed for the rest of their life just imagine this so it is really an attack on the human nature it is an attack on humanity because it's an attack on god they start with abortion, they go over to trans ideology, LGBT ideology, gender ideology, all those things. Um, obviously, the whole, the whole, um, 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 how do you call it again? Um, that children cannot, that, that, that women, uh, women can't get pregnant. Um, they take mm. well, hormone blockers. No, no, no. The just um, contraceptives, sorry, oh, contraceptives, etc. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it ends, and then it ends with euthanasia. You know, with 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 assisted suicide, as they like to call it. So you see that everything is directed against human nature, and the reason why this is the, the case is because they actually attack God with it. Those people uh, who normally are the you know the the, the 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 terrible faces of these movements. They are destroyed themselves. Mm -hmm. They do not see any hope anymore. They are they are most of the time without family, without good friends, without actual um, stability in their life, mm -hmm. and they develop a hatred towards God because they know that God actually loves them and that God wants them to to come to Him. And they and and and, and there's this diabolic hatred towards God, which is then spread among them so that they cannot turn uh, turn around and, and, and exit this lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's really terrible. If you look at the whole trans fight, and that's what we, we've been doing in the last months and, and, and especially in the last weeks, you will find out that the detransitioning community, so the people who went inside this terrible world and mm -hmm. want to now leave it again, mm -hmm. often already um, going through hormone, uh, hormone therapy or even surgeries, those people not only regret it, but the number one reason why they did it is because, number one, I did not have my loving parents. Hmm. Really? And the number one medicine for them is, and I'm not kidding, is Jesus Christ. If you talk in the, look at the detransitioning movement, you will find tons of converted Christians hmm. who now know that there is one person jesus christ he is 100 percent god and 100 percent man mm -hmm. one human being who actually loves them the exactly the way he created them mm -hmm. and this is something which actually told us 
We need to be very strong about this. So what we did is we organized conferences, demonstrations, media articles. I, I appeared in, in national television a few times here in, 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 in different TV shows, etc. And it really worked out very well. So that's actually what St. Barnabas Institute uh, is doing. We are always working on every political fight. We always try to find out, and it's normally very easy to find out. Now, you just, you just dropped that yes. into the conversation, uh, Alexander. Yes. This is Alexander Schugel. We're uh, live from Vienna. Well, you're hearing it recorded, but he, we've got him uh, live. You just made reference to St. Bon's Institute, St. Boniface yes. Institute. Uh, tell the listeners more about that, because they don't know. Yes, so St. Boniface Institute was founded after the whole Pachamama thing happened, because I did not want the people to support me as a person if they want to support what I did, but rather support a good cause. And so the Bonhoeffer Institute, um, uh, you can go to our homepage. Our homepage is not up to date right now, but what we do is very much up to date, but we just need to, need to change the homepage a little bit. Um, the Bonhoeffer Institute is an institute where we say we fight in the public place, in the public sphere, for the, for the people here on earth, from a Catholic perspective, for unity in the church against paganism against all the ideologies of the modern world against gender and lgbt ideology especially against abortion mm. especially against abortion and the way we do it is normally we try to explain to the people the problem from the very principal point of view the catholic point of view so we are not going there and say abortion is wrong because it hurts the women involved even though it hurts the women involved we do not say abortion is wrong because it kills a child, it does kill the child. We say abortion is in principle wrong because it is against the will of God. And because it's against the will of God, we will now see what, how it is against the will of God. Because, for example, abortion is the murder of an innocent child. You mm -hmm. know that you're going to kill someone and the, the victim is innocent. So it's the definition of a murder. But the reason why it is wrong is because it goes against the will of God. God decides a human shall be and you decide, no, it shall not, and kill it. This is the main reason why it is, why it is wrong, because it's sinful. A sin, by the way, where many people are, are involved, not only the, the mother often, the mother, some are forced, obviously, but also the father normally, or at least accepting it, and then obviously the nurses and the doctors performing it, etc. And if you look at all the different fights we face, like the transgender movement, etc., there is always a number one reason why it is wrong. Mm -hmm. And this is the number one reason for abortion and for the transgender. It depends on, you know, there are different things, so for example, going against the way how God created you. So abortion is a sin against that God created you. God created you and someone says, no, you should not, shall not be and kills you. And now he, now you survived this somehow because your parents maybe love you or your parents just didn't want to kill you. And now the ideology comes again and says the way you are created is also wrong and want to turn it around and twist it around. And you see, if you look at it through the eyes of the church, you will always find a very clear reason why these ideologies exist. And we will not win the fight. I'm very convinced about this. We will not win the fight if we believe that through our own wisdom we can understand all the problems. But if we kneel down in prayer, if we listen to the word of God, if we listen to the doctrine of his church, then suddenly we understand everything and we suddenly are no longer the, the, the generals of the fight, but rather the tools in the hands of our Lord himself. This is what we want to promote. This is what St. Boniface Institute is doing. And we do 
different things. We do prayer uh, or, uh, events uh, where we do rosary, public rosary procession. We had a public rosary procession going on for a few years now. Um, 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 then we do sometimes a mass, a conference, or a youth academies, and also demonstrations, media work, etc. So it's very, it's very, it's a very big thing. One could think, but actually, it's all one big fight. It's not, it's not, it's just different aspects of one fight. Mm-hmm. That's what I was just going to say. You've really kind of connected all of these seemingly separate movements, but you've yes. you've shown the common thread among all of them, whether it's the push for abortion, the push for contraception, the push for euthanasia, the push for uh, same-sex activity, the push for transgender, you've, you've yes. found the common thread, and that is that it's really an attack on God, um, the Creator, and since they can't attack Him directly, they're attacking um, who He loves the most, us. That's it. And his design for and us. And also, and especially, we are created in his image. Mm-hmm. So he does not even love us. He does not only love us. He also, if people attack us, they at least attack his image. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm-hmm. That's the reason why they always want to pervert the human being itself. It's, that's the reason why the climate change ideology exists. The climate change ideology tells you at the end of the day, you as a human being, only by existing are already harming Mother Earth, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is exactly the opposite of what God, God tells you. God hold tells on, you, I hold want on you Alexander. Say that again, because I just saw a bunch of people driving down the road listening to this that are saying, so, you've just done a connect the dots between contraception and abortion, between transgenderism, yeah. and now uh, the climate change things. What was the little yeah, girl's it, it, name on the... on the Greta. Greta. Greta you, you've just... You've just Pull Greta into the conversation here, Alan. <laughs> Run that bias one more time. So the climate change ideology tells you, you as a human being are only by existing a harm to the planet Earth or to what they call often Mother Earth or whatever, you know. And this is the opposite of what God tells us. God tells, you, uh, tells us, if, if I create you, then I want you to be there. I want you to fulfill a certain thing. This is called your vocation, to follow your vocation. And I want you to do this uh, uh, in order to be also the crown of creation. So the climate change ideology tells us we are the the the, um, the tyrants of creation, the terrorists of creation. Mm-hmm. But we are the opposite. We shall be the crown of creation. So the human existence is something extremely beautiful. And yes, people commit tons of sins. That's very, very true. But this does not, not in any way, out as a kick out uh, the truth, and the truth is that the human being is created in order to find God, as to 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 um, um, to to um, how do you say I can um, recognize God, mm-hmm. to love Him, to follow Him, and to end up in heaven with Him. Mm-hmm. And in order for this to be possible in a free way, so with, uh, using our free will. We need to go through this planet Earth. This is the place God gave us in order to decide we want to be with him by our own free will. And the climate change ideology is turning everything upside down. It mm-hmm. says you're born already with a CO2 backpack. You are already a harm to, to everything. Climate change is man-made only. So the reason why it is, is just because you eat meat and you eat other things you need to, you need to do in order to survive here, mm-hmm. etc. 
and the reason where, where and where do you see it? You see it when they say that's the reason I go after your house, after your car, and after this and this and this. Because why do you have a house if not in order to host your family in it? Mm -hmm. Why do you have a car if not in order to go work or visit your uh, visit your relatives or your friends, which means having a normal social life? Mm -hmm. All those things are an attack on the human nature on the way God created us. Well, and it, I think it's so important to see this. It, you're right. And it seems to me that it kind of goes back to the um, original first commandment. Mm -hmm. Right before Moses yes. brought us the Ten Commandments, God gave Adam yes. and Eve a commandment. The very first thing he tells them to do is what? Be fertile and multiply and fill the earth. And subdue it. And so that's a very common theme among all these fights that you're in is the, the resistance to that first commandment that God gave our that's parents. True. This is true. Alexander, it seems like you're giving a, a, an entirely new defi definition to the uh, seamless garment hmm. conversation. There's one thing, there's one thing I want, might, might, might want to add because I think the, the listeners will like this very much. You just said something. You said that this is one thing at the end. It's about motherly and fatherly love at the end. God is our father. The church is our mother. Jesus Christ is our king. Mary is our queen. Um, so you always have the mother and the father. You have in the church, you have the mothers of the spiritual convents. You have the fathers, the, the, the priests, etc. In the family, you obviously have a mother and a father. You have a mother and a father everywhere. Everywhere in the whole world, everything is, is, is done like this. Even in education, by the way, you have to... Uh, it's maybe only in German you can call it that, but in German, for example, you would call the university the alma mater. It's a Latin word. Mm -hmm. it means the mother. The alma um, mater. So the, yeah. The, yes, the mm -hmm. alma mater. Mm -hmm. And the fa and the last professor before you uh, are uh, a PhD at, uh, in a German university is called the doctorate father because he's the one checking out if you are really good before mm -hmm. sending it out to the world like a real father should do. Mm -hmm. And what we see here is if we defend. If we defend the truth, then we will find out that God lets us see the truth in our own homes. He lets us see it if we look at our fathers and if we look at our mothers. And if now an ideology comes, comes there and tells you, kill the child in the mother's womb, or tells you the father is not necessary, or tells you the father should not be manly, but rather female and, and even homosexual and things like this, the trans movement taking away motherhood and fatherhood by making the people infertile through the whole transitioning, to the whole um, um, greener channel telling you every child is a, a bad thing for Mother Earth, etc. Then you suddenly see it's an attack on, on, on parenthood. It's an attack on mother and father because God created us exactly this way. Mm -hmm. And if you read the first chapter of the Holy Scripture, this is how it says, as a, as a, as a man and a woman, he created them. Mm -hmm. He created them. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, and it's what you just say is the first It's wonderful, isn't it? It's one big... It is. It is wonderful. And I'm reminded of something that we talked about on the chatter last week, how uh, Sister Lucia, one of the Fatima seers, wrote um, to Cardinal, I forget his last name, but she said that Our Lady told her the final battle will be over marriage and the family. And we are certainly yes. seeing that it is a battle over marriage and the family. Everything you've just said, father, mother, life. Um, That's it. We've just we've seen that, and and we're in a we're in a battle. Alexander yeah. Shugel is our guest today. Alexander, I don't know if you've uh, been keeping time, but we have, and we are out yes. of time. Yes. In the Thank eighty the eighty fifth episode 
of the chatter here at FM 98.3 KCRD. Alexander, if people want to know more about you and the St. Boniface Institute, how do they look you up? www.boniface-institute.com is the easiest way. Or if just follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at a Chuguel, so my last name. Um, that's the best way to follow me. Alexander, Dubuque was founded uh, by a Frenchman and a lot of Irish and German folk. And uh, there's still some people around here that speak German. Would you close with a Hail Mary in German for us all, please? Of course. Im Namen des Vaters und des Sohnes und des Heiligen Geistes. Amen. Gegrüßet heißt du Maria voller Gnaden, der heißt mit dir. Du bist gebenedeit unter den Frauen und gebenedeit ist die Frucht deines Leibes, Jesus. Heilige Maria, Mutter Gottes, bitte für uns Sünder, jetzt und in der Stunde unseres Todes. Amen. Amen. Im Namen des Vaters und des Sohnes und des Heiligen Geistes. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Alexander Schugel from Vienna, Austria on the 85th. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it was a pleasure. All ours, Alexander. Tune in again next week. We love you.